0: Welcome to session six of the neurotic vaccine. I'm clinical and forensic psychologist, Dr. Scott Kapoyan. As we continue to welcome the vaccines against COVID and a return to some semblance of normality, These podcasts and virtual therapy sessions will try to help you and my patient, former Seinfeld writer and author, Andy Cowan, welcome a new and hopefully improved normal so he can eventually become immune to, or at least less influenced by, neurosis.
1: Try to, hopefully, eventually. Lots of clauses in there in case none of this works.
0: Well, we're looking for success here, but I don't guarantee anything. I'm all about the effort.
1: I'm glad you've contacted your lawyer before this session. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of works, uh, I got to tell you, the relationship with my new girlfriend is still working. Tell me about that. It's been so long since I've been in a relationship. I mean, I was starting to feel like a discontinued part. Smiling couples everywhere. You know, I used to chalk up to vacuous idiots. What are you so happy about? I get it now, we're vacuous idiots. (laughs) Simple love songs I hear that used to seem, you know, boringly generic, now seem perceptive. L is for the way you look at me. O is for the only one I see. Why didn't I use a more current song reference than Nat
0: King Cole? Wow, this is a real shift in your thinking. Silly and vacuous you now find meaningful and uplifting. What's going on with you?
1: When Alice is sweet to Ralph, at the end of a Honeymooners episode, (laughs) there's another current reference. I actually get a little misty now.
0: Wow.
1: And you know those uh, lame Love Is cartoons? Yes. I still think they're lame. (laughs) You know, we've come so far since that day she first came over. I did a preemptive cleaning like you wouldn't believe. If it wasn't for relationships, dust bunnies would kick me out of my own apartment. (laughs) What's your read on this? I offered her something to drink. She says juice. So right away I'm thinking, okay, she doesn't want to lose her inhibitions around me. Not a good sign. I'll have the gin and platonic. Hold the gin. So so I opened up the fridge, and there was a carton of concentrate, OJ, and a carton of not from concentrate. And I grabbed the concentrate. I grabbed the cheap stuff. I remember thinking, if she just wants to be platonic, is she special enough to warrant the not-from-concentrate?
0: <laughs> well, you really made a whole cascading series of conclusions from a fairly neutral, innocuous statement that she wanted juice. What, what, what? That sounds like the old Andy. It doesn't sound like the new Andy. It's a few moments ago. What's going on? Well,
1: your therapy-induced improvements don't necessarily last, Dr. K., Give me credit for a sporadic mental health here.
0: Okay, you're moving in the right direction. Peaks and
1: valleys, right, Andy? Oh, this was a peak. At least after we made out, I poured her the good stuff. You know, that's when she deserved the uh, the not-from-concentrate. Hey, let
0: me ask you something. Was she at any level aware of the good stuff versus the bad stuff? <laughs> I was hoping
1: she thought it was the same juice, but it tasted sweeter to her after she crossed the platonic border with me. <laughs>
0: I guess that was between you and your better angels.
1: I think the looming angels of death helped propel this relationship. No personal contact for months and months with other people. It really did help sustain a one-on-one relationship. Thanks, COVID-19.
0: Andy, out of something bad came something good. And you seized the moment and you made it happen. With my assistance, of course.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) Out of something bad, your therapy, came something good.
0: <laughs> well, you know me, Andy, I always over-promise and underdeliver. deliver Boy, that sounds like a legally
1: incriminating remark. <laughs> Maybe you didn't consult with your lawyers. The only lawyers I've
0: consulted with are patients who happen to be lawyers. Oh, okay. Have they uncovered any evidence you've helped them? Client confidentiality,
1: Andy. I'll take that as a no. <laughs> No, but the threat of the Grim Reaper, I mean, it really does help you focus on what's important in life.
0: Well, Andy, I can tell you that has been a consistent theme for many of my patients. Ah, between them and you and now me. The shift in priorities, (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm.
2: the
0: reevaluation of careers and time investment and work versus home life.
1: Hey, the Grim Reaper's
0: never out of work.
1: Why is he so grim? (laughs) 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 I once wrote a cartoon where this young guy at the office tells the Grim Reaper, I'm just a temp. Aren't you all? <laughs> My luck. When the pandemic finally ends, she'll feel safe with strangers and bars again and say, Till the next plague, I think we should see other people.
0: Wow, you're really seeing the upside of the pandemic? Are you uh, hoping it continues so you can keep your relationship on the upswing?
1: Well, uh, as long as you express it that way, uh, I guess not. It sounds pretty sick coming
0: out of your mouth. Well, <laughs> I didn't mean for it to sound sick, Andy, but it does sound like there's a part of you that fears losing what you have.
1: Well, I'll tell you, I do miss those early days of the pandemic. I mean, it was a guy's dream. Uh, you didn't have to take him anywhere. Every Saturday, we hung at my place, ordered in food. You know, staying in was considered thoughtful. <laughs> Dr. K., have you ever heard of fractional
0: investing?
1: <laughs> yeah, I think Yeah, I think it lets you purchase fractional shares of stock.
0: Yeah. Are you going to apply this to your relationship and dating now? Yeah. This was fractional
1: investing in a relationship. The concentrated best time and day, dusk on a Saturday, my favorite time, into the wee hours of Sunday morning. You know, I'd get married if the vows said, till 3 a.m. do you part.
0: Concentrated time of day, concentrated OJ, concentrated movement forward. Ah,
1: clever tie-in to something that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. Thank you, I think. (laughs) So all that time, I was secretly dreading the world opening up again. You know, having to come up with things to do in the great outdoors. I'm a great tour guide, Dr. K, when it comes to the great indoors, my own great indoors. Endless choices of music, tons of features whenever we wanted them, guaranteed parking place, on my couch. I mean, how is going to the movies while wearing a mask, no less, better than that?
0: Well, it sounds to me like you have found a setting where you can shine I'm curious, how did the other half respond to this? Well, I mean, uh,
1: we're still going. I mean, I think we flourish in this cocoon like atmosphere. It sounds
0: like she shared
1: your joy. Well, there wasn't much to go around. (laughs) I don't exactly (laughs) picture myself a joyful
0: person. As much as you're able to generate.
1: (laughs) But I mean, it was uh, more joyful here than going to the movies. I couldn't tell the projectionist. Can you pause that? I have to go risk my life in a public restroom. Wow. Another great thing about staying home. I could save movies on the DVR featuring less good-looking actors.
0: Which, by turn, makes you a great-looking actor. Oh, you
1: figured out my game plan, yeah. Wow. Otherwise she spends two hours looking at Brad Pitt or Timothy Chalamet. The next guy she looks at is me? <laughs> I don't stand a chance. But if I can cue up
0: Steve Buscemi, <laughs> Pete Davidson, hey, I don't look that bad. Are we, uh, are we comparing ourselves to other people, Andy? Are we not comfortable in our own skin? Is that something we need to work on a little bit more? What's with the we? Ask your own
1: shrink. I'm
0: including most of humanity.
1: Until it started losing collagen, I was comfortable in my own skin.
0: <laughs> Self-acceptance, Andy. Look at what you've got. A raging intellect. Yeah. A great internal dialogue. A great interior for which to share your life. Look at what you've been doing. Does Brad Pitt have that? I'd ask, but I'm sure his lackeys wouldn't take the call. He probably doesn't have that. He's over-reliant on the externals. On good looks. Look at you. you got to work harder. Ah, at forgetting this pep talk of yours? (laughs) Why don't
1: you set me up with your cousin and tell her I have a great personality while you're at it?
0: You're already in a relationship with a woman who appreciates all you have to offer.
1: No, I'm grateful for having something going on here. You know what I love? Emails with XO at the end. How did I get along without them all those years? Expressions of love, of interest. Sometimes I wonder if hers were obligatory XOs. I I think I'd lobbed the first XO, you know? So she kind of saw my XO and matched my XO.
0: You're making a case for a disingenuous, inauthentic XO, not a real expression of emotion, which may or may not be true. I'm not saying you're off base here, but it's kind of interesting that you go to the neurotic place real quickly.
1: And my XOs were capitalized. Hers were small case. (laughs) So mine then became small case. You know, she reduced her love arsenal, so I had to reduce mine. Wow. But lobbying the first XO was a big deal for me, Dr. K, because I've always had difficulty with terms of endearment. How did that difficulty play out? I made her tea where I could pass her the honey just to first say the word out loud <laughs> ease into a term of endearment you know Pass the sugar <laughs> sweetie she thought sweetie was uh, weird to call the honey and sugar by the way mm-hmm. i have an easier time writing honey than saying honey i have no problems opening my email now with hi honey
0: wow very impressive andy you sound like you're getting more comfortable with expressions of emotion you never shared before. I'm trying. You're not only trying, Andy, you're succeeding. Well, and she returned it with a high honey. So maybe, maybe you're right. You see what happens when you take a chance, Andy? You know what? I think I may just give you the Dr. K badge of mental health. Congratulations. Uh,
1: in order to maintain my mental health, need I wear that
0: badge in public? <laughs> no, that's, that's a private badge between you and your glorious therapist, Dr. K. You sound like Kim (laughs) (laughs) Jong-un.
1: You might want to make those delusions of grandeur a little more private.
0: (laughs) I draw my confidence from the growth I see in you. Don't blame your North Korean
1: leadership skills on me. (laughs) You know, I thought of seeing her, Hi Honey, and raising her to a Hi Sweetie. But if she wrote back Hi Honey after that, she'd be folding on Hi Honey. And if she writes back Hi Sweetie, she could just be parroting back my Hi Sweetie and not really mean it.
0: Is it possible you're overthinking this?
1: To even ask that question, is it possible you're underthinking this? Of course course I'm overthinking
3: this.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe you can work on calming down and just accept what it is, expressions of emotion, without comparing them to what you think they should be. This woman sounds into you, Andy. Still, every once in a while, she'll email me without the hi, honey
1: and just get into the body of her email. And so I emailed back without a high honey in case her high honey-ectomy was a message of some sort to me. Or, or you know, maybe she just forgot, but when she sees my email minus the high honey, she could think my email was a message which could make her send a high honey list message the next time.
0: You know, this reminds me of a process I often see among couples who are entering a relationship and there's perceived differences in intensity of feeling and the High honey, which was great in the beginning, is not enough. We want more. I think, Andy, you may be getting dangerously close to something in our field we call approval addiction, the need for more frequent and more varied forms of validation. And I think you might want to move away from that and just accept the reality for what it is. Otherwise, it can be a never-ending spiral of need that can never be satisfied.
1: All right, so you don't approve of my need for validation. I'm not addicted to your approval.
0: Uh, Well, Andy, that's a start.
1: (laughs) Although after our sessions, I do find myself needing stronger and stronger therapy. (laughs) Maybe I am becoming addicted. (laughs) You know, I don't know where my terms of endearment shyness comes from, Dr. K. My dad used to call my mom Babe. It sounded so cute. In the Me Too era, he would have gotten a restraining order. (laughs)
0: So even as a kid, you thought that was kind of cute, kind of cool, and you you dug it. I liked it. Wow. I don't remember digging it, per se.
1: (laughs) I mean, I I love the feeling of being in a relationship. See, I said the L word then. (laughs) Very very nice, Andy. Tom Brokaw must have a tough time saying the L word. I love you. Remember, he couldn't say his L's. (laughs) I told her I loved her. Wow. She said she loved you back? Well, first she said, great. Great's a good start. It was more like, great. Okay, it wasn't at the pitch you had hoped for. I, I think she was scared. You know, if she felt nothing, she wouldn't be scared. Or maybe knowing her
0: inner flaws more than I do, maybe she didn't respect my taste. Andy, closeness and love provokes a lot of different reactions. They don't always tickle. Sometimes they are scary. You might be onto something there. They don't always tickle. I wasn't applying a feather to her. (laughs) They don't always result in a good feeling. That's what I mean. I guess it was a poor choice of word.
1: I'm tickled to hear you admit that. (laughs) Well, she eventually said the L word back. Wow. But when you get down to it, Dr. K, isn't love a snapshot in time? You know, I love her now. She loves me now. But those uh, I will always love you songs, it should be more like, I will always love you, but as I psychologically and physically change, may or may not love you as you psychologically and physically change, and may or may not love me as I psychologically and physically
0: change. At that point, Andy, it becomes a different kind of love. Deeper, more connected, less intensely erotic, more appreciative of the completeness of the person you're with.
2: Mm.
1: But I don't think... Adele's going to be writing that anytime soon. Maybe for her album Fifty. <laughs> well, that therapy session helped.
0: Uh, it's not really the enthusiastic response that you were portraying in the course of the session. Why does it sound like it didn't help?
1: No, no. It made the progress I'm making with my girlfriend seem stronger compared to the minimal progress I'm making with you.
0: (laughs) I guess I should be less invested in my success and more invested in your success. And thank you for pointing that out to me. My
1: pleasure. I guess I do have joy in my life. (laughs) Scott, let me ask you something. Do you remember my phobia about the other shoe dropping?
0: You mean after you've had a run of good luck?
1: Yeah. What's going to happen that screws everything up? Stock market corrections, life corrections. That's my second stock market analogy. What if my correction wasn't meeting a great woman? What if it's getting knocked down again now that I have
0: met a great woman? Well, Andy, I guess that's always possible when you enter the love sphere. It's possible that you will get knocked down. Love sphere? (laughs) A world of love. You're exploring that world now. But man, I'll tell you what's definitely possible. If you don't even try, you're never going to experience it. Look at the greatness that you've experienced thus far. And it's evolving and it's developing.
1: Yeah, but I hear all these blues songs about lost love, and I'm thinking, please, don't let me find those perceptive in a couple of months. Mm -hmm. You know what's depressing? When your life is worse than the lyrics to an actual blues song. (laughs) Time's getting tougher than tough. Things getting rougher than rough. Well, I make a lot of money, but I just keep spending that stuff. Make a lot of money? And the late Jimmy Witherspoon is singing the blues? Well, he was singing them before he was late, but you know what I mean.
0: Well. You've got something Jimmy doesn't have handy. Life. You mean the life sphere? <laughs> I'll tell you what's
1: curing me of the blues. The special guest lineup we have today. CNN and Sirius XM host Michael Smirkanish will be joining us. Very exciting. He's rubbed elbows with presidents. I rub elbows with nobodies because I'm too germaphobic to shake their hands. And now he gets to rub elbows with us. Oh, yes, because he's probably germaphobic. Plus, we have a very special guest we'll be talking to soon with an immune system to die for. Wait, those two comments cancel each other out. Immune system to die for. Dr. K, do you remember anything about being
0: four years old? Uh, Pretty vaguely. I have impressions and traces of memory of being in the house where I was, in the room where I was, but not much else. Well, 108
1: year old Henry Diggles was four years old back in Pennsylvania when the 1918 Spanish flu first hit, a pandemic that wound up killing tens of millions of people around the world. And like me, he may not remember where he put his glasses, I bet they were on his head, that's where I found mine, but he survived that long ago pandemic and so far, lucky for us, this one.
0: Oh, I, 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 can't, I can't wait to meet Mr. Diggles.
1: Apparently your tongue can't wait either. <laughs> I love talking with centenarians. How else am I going to still feel young by comparison? That sounded selfish and neurotic. Old people are a fountain of wisdom.
0: It's wise of you to recognize that.
1: Why are you laughing? Are you calling me wise or old? I'm a water fountain of wisdom. The kind back in school where the water barely dribbled out.
0: (laughs) I remember those.
1: Now, speaking of presidents, as I was earlier, and the other shoe-dropping, the president is always worried about the other shoe dropping. Yes, we have a lot of problems. I have a lot of problems, but he's working hard to try to fix our problems. I'm sorry, Doctor Cave, if you take offense at this, but I wish he was my shrink. What what brought that on, Andy? Well, first of all, it's therapeutic to still be younger. Thank God
0: than a president. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Being older than Obama was traumatic. Uh,
0: that doesn't sound like therapy, Andy. It sounds more like you trying to take advantage of somebody's age to make yourself feel good.
1: <laughs> the only occupation left to make me feel younger is Pope. Not sure I qualify. <laughs> but I do think Biden's a decent person. Not that you aren't. He's empathetic. Not that you aren't. He helps
0: people. Wait. I help people. Hey,
1: when it comes to helping people decide therapy doesn't work, you're way ahead of (laughs) (laughs) mine. Andy. We can succeed. Let me repeat that. He loves repeating himself. We can succeed. (laughs) Not a joke. The idea that we can't become less neurotic is simply not who we are. We're Americans, let me repeat that, we're Americans, there's never been a time when we can't accomplish what we set out to do, together, (laughs) except when you wrote those big XOs, and your gal wrote those puny XOs, (laughs) forget that man, let me repeat that, forget that man, in case you forgot that. Look, uh-huh. Sir your president. I'm here to give you a shot in the arm. <laughs> Gave you those other shots. <laughs> Not a joke. And guess what? It's time for a booster. And here's the deal. I want to boost your confidence. You got to build it back, man. Build back. Better. And guess what? I want to repeat something. And not what I said. What I ate for lunch. Jello. (laughs) I'll probably get in trouble for this, but... It was yellow. A little shaky. Didn't always agree with me. (laughs) I don't expect you to always agree with me. But I know this. As my folks used to say up there in Scranton, Joey, if I ever hear you use the words need and shrink. (laughs) I hope it's about your hemorrhoids, man. (laughs) Not your head. Well, before we talk to 108-year-old Mr. Diggles, and later Michael Smirconish, I want to quickly search for a few other occupations besides Pope that cater to older people so I can keep deluding myself into feeling comparatively young. But not with just any old search engine. It's time for... New search engines. Boy, I should use it to search for new echo effects for new search engines. What's the aim with all search engines, Scott? Knowledge. Yes, to get to the meat, the most relevant information we're all desperately seeking as quickly as possible. Because with info coming at us all the time, I, I get a little neurotic about how much I still don't know. I didn't know Waldo wears horizontal stripes to look thinner. Did you, Dr. K? Yeah,
0: but I just didn't really care about it that much. Okay.
1: All right, well forget Google, or Yahoo. The search engine we're introducing today is more spirited than Yahoo. It's called, yay. Yay. You don't have to be that spirited. All right, let's see. Let me type in, elderly positions of authority. Ooh, it's fast. Or should I say, yay? Yeah. Security guard, security guards walmart greeter wait they don't call them walmart greeters anymore would you
0: really call that a
1: position of authority oh this is from 2018. didn't they wave at customers the
0: queen waved talk about an elderly position of authority
1: let me, let, let me broaden it out a little bit i'll try big jobs past retirement Security guard, security guards, stubborn search engine, dog walker. Ooh, I like that. Dog walkers, dogs, Yorkshire Terrier, Shih Tzu, Kevin McCarthy. Huh? huh? Oh, oh, lap dog. Ah, huh, accurate search engine. <laughs> you know what? I've talked about this in, in past sessions. I've been pining for a dog lately. You know, connecting with a woman in my life has become
0: so important. Maybe I need another life in my life. Wow. What a great message coming from you, Andy. I'm invigorated by your desire to connect to people, situations, entities outside of yourself.
1: It's weird, though, thinking about buying a dog at our age. The dog and I would have the same life expectancy. Take you for a walk? How about taking me for a walk? I'm not willing for this world either. (laughs) Maybe I want to stop and smell the butts, too. You ever think of that?
0: Oh, smell the butts. Uh. A
1: tortoise could live to be a hundred. I'd be six feet under. He'd have two homes, his shell and my house.
0: Well, maybe a tortoise is the wrong uh, pet for you, Andy. Let me type in shelters
1: with lots of Shih Tzus. So I have a choice. Lots of Shih Tzus, full of Shih Tzus, full of shit, Kevin McCarthy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scott, you already have a dog.
0: Yeah, uh, eight years we've been together.
1: Rub your successful relationships in my face, why don't you? Um, 56
0: years in dog
1: years. Keep rubbing. Any other pet you'd like me to research? My nephew's frog died recently. I should buy him a new one. Really? Kids don't just find frogs in ponds anymore? No, I
0: think they wait for us to get them at shops.
1: All right, well, let me let me type in... Uh, Frogs for sale. Ranks, Frogs, Reptile City, Hopping Toads, Hopping Toadies, McCarthy, <laughs> Lackeys, Sycophants, Suck Ups, Bootlickers, Brown Nosers, Dogs with Brown Noses, Cocker Spaniel. That's what I'll get! Patch him in. Henry Diggles, a man who survived this pandemic and the one in 1918, is about to survive talking to us, Dr. K. Very excited.
0: Uh, Well, tell your voice that. (laughs) I can't wait to hear what Mr. Diggles has to
1: say. Hi. Hi. Mr. Diggles? Mr. Diggles, are you there? Yes. Sir, thank you so much for calling. This is a real honor. Can you hear me? Yes. (laughs) You were four years old in 1918, were you not? Yes. They didn't have preschool then, so you must have been in kindergarten or close to it. That's how old I was when I started kindergarten.
2: Is this about
1: you? (laughs) No, 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 this is about you. Tell us, sir, what do you remember about the pandemic? At such a vulnerable age, you must have been really scared.
2: Oh, oh, yes. I could see the fear in Blitzer's eyes.
1: <laughs> Wolf? No, no, no. The 1918 pandemic.
2: I remember my mother kept feeding bags on the horses even when they weren't eating because they doubled as masks.
1: Wow! The horses were masks. More than I could say for the horse's ass. Forty five. <laughs> Look how sharp he still is, Dr. K. You're
0: quite an astute political observer, Mr. Diggles.
1: Sir, with no antibiotics back then, no vaccine, isolation must have been crucial. We all
2: had to quarantine and keep our distance. Personal hygiene was important. We bathed each and every month.
1: (laughs) Oh, no wonder you kept
0: your distance. Scott. You have a question for Mr. Tickle? So good to talk with you, sir. How did you manage to survive the last two years? Are, are you in an assisted living facility?
2: That's a lot of questions.
1: <laughs> well, it's only two. I
2: but... never got bored or cabin fever. Hmm. Even in 1918, when we were living in a cabin, <laughs> we binge-watched spiders fornicating <laughs> On the walls.
1: <laughs> ah, who needs Netflix? Spreading that many legs, that's endless viewing pleasure.
2: <laughs> I remember my mother telling me that President Wilson's child got sick from the flu. Hmm. Even the White House sheep.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember seeing pictures of sheep grazing on the White House lawn.
2: McCarthy and Pence.
1: <laughs> No, 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 no. Back in 18, 1918.
2: I remember my father telling me the sheep replaced the White House lawn mowing gentlemen so those young men could go off to the war. Wilson got very ill from the flu as well.
1: I think I read about that during the Paris Peace Conference, wasn't it? Wilson
2: was a damn racist. My father called him the black sheep of the first family.
1: Begin with the sheep. <laughs> if he was a black sheep, he probably hated himself. Ah, huh. very profound, Andy.
2: The bigot should have done more to slow down the play.
1: He was a black sheep. Iron sheep. Oh, oh, 45. He, he didn't do enough either. I don't get the sheep part of it, but... He
2: was a bad president.
1: <laughs> the following interview is from 2021. He's the host of SiriusXM's The Michael Smirkanish Program, CNN Smirkanish, a political commentator, newspaper columnist, author, lawyer, and in his spare time, he takes a
0: shower. <laughs> Welcome, Michael Smirkanish.
3: Thank you. Nice to be with both of you.
1: Now, for our listeners who aren't seeing Michael on Zoom as we are right now, I first want to say It's a pleasure not to associate pain and sweat with you for a change, because when I watch your Saturday CNN show, I'm on the elliptical. Ah,
3: (laughs) That means you're up nice and early on the West Coast. No, it means that I uh, DVR your show
1: and I'm watching it at noon. Ah, that's no excuse. I know, I know. (laughs) Hey, only exercise I'm doing early Saturday is flipping the hot side of the pillow to the cold side. (laughs) (laughs) I'm looking at a great, Cover picture from your morning dry book from 2009 of you broadcasting with no pants on. Can you strip away from us your on camera, on mic, utmost professionalism and share some of the nakedly vulnerable sides to Michael
3: Smirconish? Do you know that photo was taken by an intern? I'd probably get arrested for that today.
1: <laughs> That's right.
3: It was either a, uh, a high school or college intern who had a knack for photography and the book jacket was supposed to exhibit, and I'm wearing boxers, by the way, it's not as if I'm buck naked. Point taken. But it was supposed to exhibit the sort of undressing of that was revealed within the book. I don't know if it properly conveyed that, but that's what I was seeking to do.
1: Well, underneath that professional exterior, are there any hints at neurosis?
3: Well, would you say that OCD tendencies are in that category? Dr. Kay, what would you say about that? Uh, yeah, they're
0: uh, on the spectrum. But remember, with like with a lot of these psychological traits, some of them are adaptive as long as you don't have too many, like if it helps you focus at work and produce an excellent product, yes. But if you take that into your other areas of your life where it might not be so adaptive, like in your personal relationships, it could be overdone.
3: Well, for example, I touch the New York Times every day. I read tons of newspapers, but there's only one that I touch. It's the Times, and I need my own undefiled copy. So if the three of us were together and the two of you were to read that newspaper and then give it to me, it would be an issue.
1: Especially in these times, I would think, right?
3: It has nothing to do with COVID, Andy. I would love to tell you that I'm concerned about catching the virus, but that wouldn't be it. This would have applied 20 years ago.
1: So I would think you in particular would be driven to go full-on digital and not even worry about newsprint. But
3: it means so much to me to be able to touch it. What a testimonial. All the news that's fit to touch. I mean, I'm also obsessed with Trash Night and there's a storm coming to Philadelphia, and it's going to hit Thursday. Thursday night is my trash night. It's also my commingled recycling night, and I'm terribly concerned that I'm not going to get pickup on Friday, and I will live with the commingles for yet another two weeks, because next week we'll be back to the paper cycle. How am I doing so far, Andy? (laughs) Dr. K., you
1: have pointed out in more than one session how obsessing on future problems can sometimes exaggerate the threats.
0: Yeah, that's part of it. But another part is just coping with and embracing uncertainty, having having fun with it, and not getting sidetracked by a delay in something like that. It's hard to tell whether this is just more than average focus or an obsession. I might need a more detailed uh, visit with Mr. Smirkanish. Just what he needs, more recycled garbage. (laughs) 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 Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) Along these lines, I did have something to ask you. You have a lot of challenges. You have to please an employer, CNN. You have to engage and build an audience. You have to maintain a social media presence and entice your guests. How challenging is it to cope with that?
3: Well, it's very challenging, especially when you add in that my day job, my real job is I'm a radio host. And so I'm responsible for 15 hours of self-driven content per week. And that's a much more difficult task to sustain 15 hours than is the TV show, which is one hour, really broken down by four, five or so minute segments. To sustain a talk radio program each and every day, that's a difficult task. And by the time that I hit the airwaves, the heavy lifting is really over. It's the reading and the preparation that go into it, if I'm really doing my job, that is most taxing. Would you say that you um,
0: overprepare in order
3: to be ready for anything that could happen? Definitely. I'm a guy who's known for front page news and opinions and the CNN analysis and so forth. But it's kind of funny. Andy and I have bonded through a, a Seinfeld or Larry David connection. I feel like I am leading a Larry David life each and every day. Things take place in my world that I feel like I'm the guy on curb. Those aspects of my life tend to be the best radio content.
1: Okay. Give us a Curb-like moment you've experienced.
3: I'd never met Larry David, but when he had a Broadway show, this is probably five years ago, uh, I went backstage and I met him one night, which was a great, great thrill for me, especially because he seemed to know who I was, and I have no idea whether he really did, but I bought into it that night. You know what that's like, right? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) And the only bummer... Is that here I had this moment, this special moment with Larry David, my hero and David Blaine walked in famed illusionist with a deck of cards and I was done because oh, everybody wow. wanted to watch David Blaine and his card tricks. He made your dream
1: come true disappear. <laughs> I could just see you tiptoeing away with the curb theme in the background. <laughs> Speaking of curb, and Seinfeld, You were one of the first broadcasters to associate Trump with my Seinfeld episode, The Opposite, where George followed the opposite of conventional wisdom to gain success.
3: I actually ran portions of that episode. It was always one of my favorite episodes to begin with. But yes, I kept thinking of that when watching Donald Trump, because whatever the playbook said for running for president, He was going in a totally different direction and it worked for him. And I have to say, based on the polling data that I've seen most recently, where you would think people would be abandoning him who had been at his side. No, they're still there, at least so far.
1: They say Biden equals comparatively boring, bad for ratings. I think the news execs are worried.
3: Well, I think they should be. I think they should be relative to their ratings, not so much for the nation's interest, but I can't imagine that the interest level, I look at metrics, my television program, of course, but I look at my social media barometers and Everything has been off the charts for the last couple of months, but I fully anticipate that that's going to fade and that people will settle into other interests. But I've been paying attention. I've been in this business for 30 years and never have I seen the interest level the way it has been in the last, I'll say, three to six months.
1: I mean, ratings aside and Fox News aside, do you think news execs will be more careful about giving oxygen, say, to Trump's rallies than they did in 2016?
3: Yes, and let me first say that if he stays, a lot of ifs here, if he stays healthy, if he stays financially afloat, and if he stays unindicted, yeah. no matter what happens, he's definitely gonna be the 800 pound gorilla, but I don't see how he could be stopped from winning the Republican nomination. The opposite lives on.
1: Failed one-term presidents are usually barely mentioned at that party's next convention, let alone a one-term, two-time impeached president.
3: Nobody could come close to him, and in a multi-candidate field, he'd probably just need 35% of the vote to assure himself the nomination. So I don't think he could be stopped from being the candidate.
1: You know, I've always griped about the future being shoved down our throats before it gets here. You know, Christmas cards after Halloween, seems we're always hearing, and I'm guilty of it today, about the upcoming election, even days after Biden was inaugurated, if not before, 22, 24. Could we stay in the here and now more if members of Congress only had to run every four years and the president
3: every six? Well, I'd like to see term limits. One of my takeaways for the impeachment process was to take a look at Richard Burr from North Carolina or Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania and to say the only reason that they were two of the seven willing to vote for impeachment Republican senators is because they're not coming back. Mm -hmm. I think you'd see more courage like that, and courage, by the way, that could be progressive, could be conservative, not necessarily anti-Trump, but more willing to do what they really think is right. I always said that if the impeachment vote were an anonymous vote, a secret ballot, then Trump would have been turned out of office probably with 80 plus percent of the votes in the United States Senate. The problem is that the people that we need to bring about term limits are the ones who be impacted by it, and they're not ready to give up because all they want to do once they get there is hang around.
1: When Carter ran and said, I'll never lie to you, it was a refreshing, almost shocking change from the Nixon era. Any chance the voters might actually embrace a candidate for Congress, the Senate, the White House, who spells out, my goal is to do what's right for the country, not my party, and if I'm not reelected, so be
3: it. I don't know. I I don't know that idealism is, is working these days. Unfortunately, we are rewarding, and you could say that Joe Biden is contrary to what I'm describing, so maybe I'm talking more about Republicans, but we're rewarding the extremes. The whole system now is one that benefits the fringe elements and those with the largest megaphones And the days of getting elected, paying your dues, biding your time, getting a committee assignment and working your way up the ladder, they're over. And social media has only compounded this, where now you just need to say something that gets attention and you become a fundraising superstar. And that is the biggest prize of all, because that gives you real power.
1: If Congress is a co-equal branch of government, especially when their approval rating is lower than anybody's. Why don't they have more of a vested interest in not blocking the executive branch from an opposing party
3: and sharing the credit for getting things done? Because they're not interested in legislating. Nobody's interested in legislating. Everybody is interested in sticking around. And the way to stick around is to say things that cause you to get booked on one of the cable shows and become a fundraising uh, magnet. That's the name of the game yeah, today. Yeah. I could pick out Matt Gates at one end and I could pick out AOC on another. Is there anything for all the notoriety that each is given that you can point to legislatively and say, ah, that was her accomplishment or that's his accomplishment? There's nothing.
2: Mm.
1: Congress, the real show about nothing. (laughs) It's a long way from the old style of politics you were weaned on.
3: Yeah. The one for whom I have the most fondness and respect is, without a question, Bush 41. Papa Bush was my guy. And I was privileged to work in his administration when I was 29 and 30, and I miss him terribly and his steady style of leadership.
1: Here's a puzzler: Why won't Senator Sheldon Whitehouse run for the White House?
3: I mean, the White House, White
1: House. <laughs> How could he have not grown up with that goal in mind?
3: <laughs> I'd never given it thought until you said it that way. I don't know.
1: <laughs> we mentioned your morning drive book earlier. Its subtitle is the full title of a more recent video commemoration of your 30 years in radio that was great, Things I Wish I Knew Before I Started Talking. And there were things you didn't know would happen before you started on that.
3: I'm so proud of the backstory. I was about to go out on the road for a nationwide speaking tour. I had done one that evolved organically and ended up being very successful. It took me to two dozen cities, small theaters, three 400-seat theaters all across the country. And coinciding with my 30th anniversary in radio, I conceived of this new one-man show, as you say, Things I Wish I Knew Before I Started Talking, and everything had to be canceled because of the pandemic. And I never knew whether I would get on the road to deliver this, just given the uncertainty. And having done all the preparation, and frankly, having invested a lot in getting ready, both my time and expense, something said to me, you got to record this. I delivered the presentation to 400 empty seats. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I think it's probably better that they were empty than if I had a crowd, even if the crowd had been responsive, because it just is so different. And I had nowhere to take it. I had no plan for it. But I showed a sizzle reel to Jeff Zucker, who's the president of CNN. And he immediately said, I'll put this on the air. I love So that. he did an hour's worth of it. And now it's available as a digital download. And I'm hoping that one of your Hollywood friends is going to give me a streaming platform because I really would like it to end up on a streamer and be out there.
1: Hollywood friends. With me, that's an oxymoron. You must have friends in
0: Hollywood. Facebook friends. Oh my gosh. Show business is really a battle, isn't it? Sharing battles together forges friendships. You've
1: experienced that, haven't you? Who of influence in this town is going out of their way to help me, let alone help me help somebody else?
0: Well, it's nice he respected you enough to think you could help him. Till he doesn't, after I can't. Michael, I was going to ask you, what was one of the most memorable or compelling parts of that journey that you find out about you and your work? Rejection. Oh, yeah. Tell us well, about that, man, because all my clients deal with it, Andy deals with it, and the therapy on our show, lay that on us, how you dealt with that.
3: During the course of recounting my career, I walk you through a number of successes and I, I name drop and I tell you that I interviewed President Obama seven or eight times and all the other celebrities who've been on the program and so on and so forth. But what I'm most proud of in retrospect, and maybe I can only say this because I'm comfortable where I am today, uh, so many instances where the gig was mine or so I thought it was mine because after all, I'd invested all that sweat equity in it. And no, I was bypassed. And two great examples stand out and they happen to have coincided, which is really wacky in the polarized world in which we live. For five years, I was Bill O'Reilly's principal fill-in in addition to hosting that TV program on Fox News. He had a syndicated radio program on Westwood One. He was the dominant cable personality. This was before he got himself into any trouble or before we knew that he'd gotten himself in any trouble. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I was Chris Matthews' principal fill-in for Hardball on MSNBC. Oh, I remember. And when they would vacation, I would get the call. And of course, they would often vacation at the same time, end of summer or the week between Christmas and New Year's. And this went on for years, and I worked my ass off because on those days, I would often host my own Philadelphia radio program, and I would do that from a CBS studio in New York. I'd hustle over to Fox News and I would deliver O'Reilly's program on radio. And then I would go to MSNBC at 30 Rock in Rockefeller Center and I would deliver Hardball. What a gruelingly schizophrenic schedule. Imagine going between the Fox News and MSNBC world. I I joked to my friends that on Avenue of the Americas, I wasn't sure if I was going to get shot in the chest or shot in the back as I was going, you know, back and forth between them. But here's the point. (laughs) Yeah. O'Reilly reaches the time when he decides he's going to retire from radio. And I thought, look, I've invested the time. I'm the guy. And they came to me and they said, you really do a nice radio program, but you're not a name. I always hated that excuse. We need a name. And so they hired Fred Thompson. If you remember Fred Thompson, he was a senator from Tennessee. Senator
0: Fred Thompson and the actor.
3: And the actor from the Hunt for Red October. Right, great actor. But, you know, Fred may have been a great actor and a good senator, but he was not a talk radio host. It was like, you know, the David Lee Roth thing following Howard Stern. It didn't Mm. work. And you knew it wasn't going to work, but I didn't get the gig. And at about the same time, the president of MSNBC, Phil Griffin, with whom I always had a very good relationship, said to me, smirk we really like what you do for Chris, but we are young, liberal, and nerdy, and you are none of the above. So you're not getting a TV show here. that
1: stings.
3: And and I was just, you know, fucking heartbroken at having invested all that time there too. Imagine the
1: voice of CNN, James Earl Jones. This is MSNBC, young, (laughs) liberal, and nerdy.
3: (laughs) I did appreciate his candor. I was still under contract, and he said to me, if you get a gig elsewhere, I'll always let you out. Wow! And when Jeff Zucker hired me at CNN or wanted to hire me at CNN, I had to go back to Phil and say, hey, Phil, you told me, and Phil honored it. So those are just two instances of many, many rejections all along the way. I think that this business and all that goes on in Hollywood, you need to be prepared to deal with that level of rejection more than if you're an architect or an engineer or a carpenter.
1: That should really be a central part of undergraduate education for anyone thinking about entering a field like this,
3: absolutely. Andy, I've had the privilege of delivering several college commencement addresses and one that I delivered at Widener University a couple of years ago, focused on failure. They brought me in, no doubt, because, hey, this is a guy who has a radio show and he's on CNN. And I went in and instead, I just, in more detail that I've given to you, I laid out, here are the rejections that I had. So be prepared because that's what you're going to face when you walk out that door. Mm -hmm. You know, along with teaching the three R's, they should
1: add a fourth R, rejection. And if you don't pass, but handle the rejection well,
0: you get an A. (laughs) Michael, as successful as you are in as competitive a field as yours, do you still compete in your mind with other broadcasters' levels of success?
3: I don't think of it in those terms. I'm not on a day-to-day basis thinking that so-and-so has a program much more popular than mine and I want to be him or, or I want to be her. I'm kind of settled at where I am and what I'm doing in a radio and television world. I think that there's this tendency for people to look at me as a guy with a Saturday morning television program who gets a fair amount of play during the week, being on in CNN's primetime as a guest. You know, that's my TV gig, and therefore they say, he aspires to do a primetime show. At one time, I definitely did. But if that call were to come today, I don't know that I'd answer it. Interesting. It would be so disruptive, and at this stage, I'm not sure that it's really what I want to do. I like what I'm doing. Michael, what a healthy place to be. Some of my patients are so focused on where they aren't
0: that they can lose sight of where they already are. If this happens, then I'll be happy.
1: You including me in that group? On occasion. Next time something happens, I'll stay unhappy.
3: (laughs) Is that
0: better? (laughs) If that happens, I won't be happy.
3: (laughs) I'd rather come West and have a third career and put something on television, scripted, not in a news world. You're a novelist. I wrote a novel Warner Brothers acquired the rights for a potential TV show. It never got made. I still love that project. And getting a taste of that whole world was a little intoxicating for me. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. I also met very few people in that biz that were straight in terms of their dealings. They always treated me like I fell off a turnip truck. I'm from Philadelphia, like you. You know, you would think they would give me more credit For street smarts. No,
1: the only credit they like to give out here is to non-writing producers.
3: (laughs) But I enjoyed the process. I'm a television watcher and I've got some ideas. So that's more what's on my mind than angling to take over the primetime slot. Michael, you speak with such ease and curiosity and authority. Were you that way as a kid? Well, when I was a kid in the 70s, Doug Henning was a magician on Broadway. Pre-David Blaine. He touched off a magic craze in America. What separated me from my classmates then, I went out and did shows. So for $5 a show, when I was 12 or 13 or 14, I would come to a, a birthday party and charge $5, and in front of 10 kids, I would actually do a show. And in retrospect, I think that was really valuable for me and things that I would do in the future because I became very comfortable in those settings of having to perform before a live audience. That's
1: another similarity in our backgrounds, Michael. When I was 12, I did a magic show for kids. I was very much into tricks. I remember I talk about in my book, the time I rigged up this elaborate cutting the woman in half illusion and I painted blood on the saw prior to the thing, and I start sawing into the hidden broom handles for legs attached to shoes, and the kid in the crowd starts crying, and the mother gets up, no, no, it's just a trick. And she comes up to my thing and rips it apart,
3: destroying the illusion. That like saw in her in half. I reached a point where there were certain ages I wouldn't perform in front of because they were too much of a pain in the ass. I think it was something like sixth to ninth graders, something I wouldn't do.
1: Oh, that's a tough crowd.
3: Right? Tough tough audience.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. I want to throw a couple of silly questions your way. Have you ever wondered why Lou Dobbs kept coloring his hair?
3: If the point is, at some stage, you've got to embrace it. I'm all for that. I'm all for embracing. Obviously, I'm not the guy who will ever be... Coloring his hair.
1: No, but you know what's great about your look, which is fantastic? You are lucky enough to live in the Chrome Dome era. If you were living in the 60s, because baldness or the illusion of hair is all about the difference between hair and not hair. So true. So in the 60s, you'd be walking around with the partial hair, (laughs) and it would be so glaring that you were hairless. But because you are totally hairless, it tricks the eyeball into thinking you have hair. And right. I'm old enough to remember when Yule Brenner and Telly Savalas were anomalies. And
3: now look at you, I mean, you look cool as hell. I really should have done it sooner. I've seen pictures of me as a young lawyer where I, I look like I've got a mullet. <laughs> what happened in my case is that my wife and I were out to dinner. We were celebrating her birthday and we came out of the restaurant next door to this salon that cuts her hair. And I'd had a couple of pops and I went in with her because she wanted to make an appointment. And she asked Maurice, her stylist, for an appointment. And I asked Maurice, how did he think I would look if I shaved my head? And he said to me, well, why don't you keep her appointment? And I said, guess what? I will. I'll be back tomorrow. Wow. Good thing you had those pops. (laughs) So I went back the following day and it was a salon full of women and me. I had basic male pattern baldness, and he kind of gave me a buzz cut. And then we asked everybody, how does it look? And of course they said, keep going, keep going. (laughs) Take it off, like a scalp strip cheese. And then he shaved my head. Well, within three days, I was in Cuba having dinner with Fidel Castro. (laughs) Wow.
1: How'd he like your new Chrome Dome?
3: I probably looked to him like a military operative, you know, (laughs) not like just a talk show host who happened on a lark to get his head shaved. And he kind of looked at me suspiciously when we first met, and I'm sure he thought, oh, this is the guy they sent over from the State Department who really works for the CIA or some (laughs) such thing. He had dinner
1: with Castro, and I didn't ask him, what was that like? Was he scared? Howard Fidel's table manners? I didn't even ask if he shared a Cuban cigar with the guy. So what?
0: Cuban cigars aren't unusual in Cuba. They're everywhere.
1: So what are you saying? I should feel better that all I asked was what Castro thought of Smirk's skull? His skull
0: wasn't everywhere.
1: Huh. You can be a good therapist. Okay, I got a semi-silly, multiple-choice question for you. Should cable news producers, A, tell Zoom guests in advance that we presume they thank the host for having them and needn't interrupt the flow of the host's initial question by thanking them for having them? (laughs) and B, should they tell Zoom guests to sign off with, thank you for having me, before the host stops thanking them for being there, to kill the satellite feed delay before we hear the guest finally say, thank you for having me. (laughs) I feel sorry for Lawrence O'Donnell when he sometimes waits in vain for the guest to respond to his thanks for being here, we really appreciate it, before realizing the guest isn't saying, thanks for having me, and Lawrence has to close with yet another thank
3: you. Yes to both. (laughs) It's compounded for me by the fact that I'm in a flash studio in Philadelphia, even in a non-pandemic time. And I have a hair longer of a delay than if I were in CNN's headquarters in New York City. So I'm always mindful of this. And I just suck it up and accept it now that if I say to you, Andy, thank you so much for being my guest, I'm gonna have to hold for a second, wait for you, silence, and then you're gonna say thank you and then we're gonna be done. It would be so much easier if we could just cut to the chase. Yeah. I have to say radio's the same way. People, and I never wanna rein them in because most times they're being kind to me. Hey, Michael, thank you so much. I listened to your show, ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. I wish they would just get to it, but it doesn't happen.
1: Yeah, maybe you could try playing them off like the Oscars and Larry David did on Curve before they even get to the question. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, now we're getting played off. Michael Smirkonish, thank you for being here and for making us feel no more neurotic than
3: you are. You've only scratched the surface of my neuroses, but we can deal with the rest later. Uh, you're not going to thank us for having you?
1: <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us and give us a follow on Twitter at Andy G. Cowan. Well, we want to thank Michael Smirconish, Henry Diggles our supporters at the Benstown McVeigh Media Podcast Network, Mike McVeigh, Chachi, Kevin Horton, Susan Aksu, and especially you, our listeners, for being a part of our family.
0: I listen. Are you saying I'm family? If that makes me
1: a beneficiary in your will, come visit. Andy Cowan that's C-O-W-A-N dot net for a way to reach out and get my big book Banging My Head Against the Wall A Comedy Writer's Guide to Seeing Stars Forward by Jay Leno available at Amazon Barnes & Noble Black Rose Writing and at the National Comedy Center in Lucille Ball's hometown Jamestown, New York Itching on the Highway of Life opening theme by yours truly instrumental performance by Marty Rifkin the full tune also available on Amazon musical stingers by Steve Crum Lazy Day closing theme by the Bob Mincer Big Bang. For your
0: mental wellness, you can reach me at drscottk at psysolutions.net. Until next session, I'm Andy Cowan. And I'm Dr. Scott Kapoyan. For now, I see our time is up.